1 Samuel chapter 30. Last week we covered up to about verse 6. I just want to kind of bring us up to speed what's going on. Uh, David, who is known as a man after God's own heart, we saw last week he's at kind of, if not the lowest place in his life. This is a man who has been a warrior for God. This is a man who, who has been, uh, been promised the throne of Israel. It's a man who's been fighting for the people of God. He's killed Goliath. He's had amazing conquests and victories. The song was written about him. You know, David, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. And he was on the run as, as Saul was still king. He refused to do anything to remove Saul from the throne. David finds himself on the run, uh, living in caves from place to place. Saul's actually pursuing him. A number of attempts on his life were made. So David finally gets fed up on waiting. He's tired of waiting for God. God had said, I'll make you the king of Israel. But David says, I, I just don't see that happening. It's been, it's been 14 years or about, about that time, about 12 and a half years. But about 12 and a half years, I just don't see it possible. So David actually leaves the, the land of Israel and he moves over to where the Philistines are, the enemies of God. He leaves the people of God to go reside with the enemies of God. He actually joins with the enemies of God and he's about to go to battle against the people of God. The funny thing is the enemies of God didn't want him because they knew that he didn't belong there. So as he lines up for battle, the other kings of the Philistines look and they say, we don't want him there. He's, he's an Israelite. What's he doing here? So they send him home basically. So he leaves, he can't fight with the enemy, he can't fight with the people of Israel, he heads back to where he was living in Ziglag, and what does he find when he gets back home? All of the town that he's, that he's developed, all the place where he lived, it's all burned down. Nothing but an ash heap. Their wives, their children, their families, all taken away. They get back to, an, to nothing but ruins. They get back to ruins, and it brings David to just kind of the, the lowest of the lowest. The enemy doesn't want him. He's, take, he's abandoned the people of God, and he finds himself just way down there at the bottom of life. And we read last week in chapter 30, verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Even the 600 men that he had with him, they didn't want him. They were thinking about killing him. They were just, we, he can't lead us. Look where he's leading us. And nobody even wants us. They were thinking about killing him because... The soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Their families were gone. But then at the end of verse 6, we see this beautiful sentence. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. And last week, if you missed the message, you can get it online. We talked in great detail on what that meant to strengthen yourself in the Lord. He didn't pray for God to strengthen him. He had to go strengthen himself. He had to make that effort himself. Sometimes God will provide us strength. Sometimes God will provide people to give us strength. But sometimes it's our responsibility to go strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And I talked last week about that meant I believe that he had to repent of how he, where he had got, what he had done to get him there. He had to remember and reclaim those promises of God from 12 and a half, 13, 14 years earlier about him being king. He had to reestablish himself in the word of God, reestablish himself with the people of God, but he had to do all this while just waiting right where, he, right where he was until he figured out what to do next. So if you just kind of pick up on our message this evening, David is strengthened himself in the Lord, but now he's trying to figure out what do I do next. Remember, David is in a place that he never thought he would be in his life. He never thought he'd be here. Now think about that. If you'd asked David a few years earlier, 10, 12 years earlier, right after he killed Goliath and said, you know, someday you're going to go join the Philistines. You're going to be fighting. You're going to want to go to battle and fight the people of Israel. He said, you're crazy. I would never do such a thing. Never. He's gotten to that place that he never thought he would be. 
we can get that place sometimes, can't we? We can find ourselves in that place we never thought we would be. We followed it. We do exactly what David does when we get there. What's the first thing he did? He went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm going to go strengthen myself in the Lord through prayer, through study of the word, being around people of God. I'm going to repent if I need to repent, if that's what got me there. I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. But what he does next is just as important. Look at verse 7. Then David said to Abathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor. So the next thing that David does that's so, so important is the next thing he does that's so important is he inquires of the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord, and then he goes to inquire of the Lord. As a Christian, that's something we need to learn to do. It's really important that I, that I know how to inquire of the Lord. And that means I got to seek the Lord's will. I got to go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? God, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what to do next. And I have to wait on the Lord to tell me what it is that I want to do, that, that I should do next, or that he wants me to do next. You see, as Christians, our life isn't about just taking God with us in our pocket where we go. If I'm a follower of Christ, I have to be the follower, not the leader. I don't decide what I want to do. I have to really go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I personally believe there's a lot of Christians that miss out on this blessing. God will go with you wherever you want to go. But if you'll let him lead you, oh, what a blessing there. Because his ways are higher than your ways. His ways are better than yours. He's got things in line for you that you never even thought possible. But you have to be willing to go with him to do that. It's not you taking, with him, taking him with you. You see, as a human being, I can only dream so high. You know why? I look at my abilities. I look at my capabilities. I, I could never do something like that. It's not, it's not, it's not possible. But with God... All things are possible, right? So with God, when I look at life, this is what I want to do. I can only establish certain levels that I think I can reach. But God says, I can break all those levels. I can give you ability that you never thought you had. I can teach you things and show you things and, and put my spirit in you. And I can, I can just help you do things that you never thought you could possibly ever do. I never like speaking in front of people. I still don't like public speaking. I hate it. And why are you up here, Rob? Well, because it's something the Lord has called me to do. The Lord has called me, I believe he's given me the gift of teaching his word. He calls me to teach and I teach. If someone says to me, hey, will you, will you DJ this performance or will you help? Uh-uh, not me. Well, you're a pastor. You talk in front of people all the time. That's for the, for the Lord. I'm not doing it for you. You can't make me do that. That's something the Lord has, has given to me that, that I'm able to do and speak in front of people now, but it's not something that came naturally to me. It wasn't like I liked doing it. It was something the Lord called me to do, and he had to show me how to do it and teach me how to do it and strengthen me in it. The first time I ever had to speak in front of a group of people, I was scared to death. I'm still scared to death if the group's too big or I don't know too many people. But the Lord provides, and he strengthens himself. David came to the place where he says, God, what do I do next? What do you want me to do? So look what he does. He calls, Abath he calls Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, he says, go get the ephod for me. And what's commonly believed is on the ephod was a little pouch, and there was believed that in the pouch was two stones called an ermum and a thummim, and that's how they would inquire of the Lord. They would ask the Lord a question, 
it's, it, this isn't biblical fact. The Ermin and the Thummim part is biblical fact, but as far as how it actually worked, we're not really sure. Um, some people suggest that when they would ask the priest a question, the, the priest would reach into the pouch, he would pull out a stone, either a white stone, which meant yes, or a black stone, which meant no. So David is literally saying to him, hey, go get the ephod. Go get the, go get, you're, you're part of the priestlyhood, you're part of them. You took that stuff with you when, they, when uh, Saul came in and killed everybody there. Go get it, and, and we gotta inquire of God. So essentially he's going to the Lord saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? David inquired of the Lord, and look what he says. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I pursue this troop? God, what do I do? Our families are gone. The men want to kill me. The people, nothing left here. The enemy doesn't want me. I can't go back to Israel or Saul will kill me. Lord, what do I do? Should I pursue these people? And the Lord answered him. Isn't that great? The Lord answered him. He didn't leave him nothing. Don't do anything, David. No, Lord, I got an answer for you. I got something for you. Now that you've sought me, now that you've strengthened yourself in me, remember he'd been in the Philistine land about 16 months. What was he doing during that 16 months? Robbing and stealing people. That's what he was doing during the 16 months. He'd kind of, he'd backslidden. He'd fallen off the wagon, so to speak. He was, he was with the enemy during that 16 months, but he realized where he was. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And now he comes, he says, God, what do I do? Do I go after these people? Do I go after my family? What do you want me to do? What do you think he wanted to do? He wanted to go after them, I'm sure. But his men, the 600 men, they weren't real keen on him. He, he, he didn't, you know, what, the leader wasn't really leading because nobody wanted him. So he goes to God and says, God, what do you want me to do? What a question for a Christian to ask. God, what do you want me to do? Think about that. Do we ask that question enough? Or do we just assume that we can make that decision on our own? Will you take time to seek God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to live? Where do you want me to go to church? Where do you want, what do you want me to do? Where, what, do I, what do you want me to do, God? And God is a God who answers him. Sometimes you have to wait for an answer. That's true. But God is a God who will answer. If you have to wait, that's still an answer. He's saying wait. What, look, what, look what he tells him. God, do you want me to pursue him? And it says, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. You're surely gonna overtake them and without fail recover all. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David inquires of the Lord and now David gets a promise from the Lord. What does the Lord promise him? David, go get him. Go get your family back, David. Go get your men's family back. And not only are you gonna go get them, you're going to recover most of your stuff. You're gonna recover some of your stuff. No, God says you're gonna recover all of your stuff. You're gonna recover all of it. Listen, David received this promise of God and he believed it. Do you ever get a promise of God and you don't believe it? God says, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna do something in your life. Maybe you find a promise in the word and you go, well, that doesn't account. That's not me. I'm not believing that. I'm not believing that because I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that in my circumstances around me, so it just doesn't make sense that that, no, that, that must be for somebody else. I must have heard wrong. Maybe, maybe I just misunderstood God when, when I was praying that night and, and he, that still small voice in my heart I felt was leading me in a direction and, and it's been burning on my heart and, and, that, and it's been a while and I, 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 just, I just must have misunderstood. No, David received this promise of God and he believed the promise of God. That's a big difference. He received it and he believed it. He believed that God was going to do what he was said he was going to do. There was no doubting in his mind. Look what he does next. This is really simple. Verse nine, so David went. 
He went. What, is he, what did he do? He was obedient. God, do I go? Yep, go, and you're going to get it all back. Well, I better call a committee meeting and figure out how I'm going to accomplish this. Well, I better figure out, well, I don't know. The guys really, they're not really behind me anymore. They wanted to stone me just a few hours ago, so I really don't know what to do. No, it says he went. Now, when it comes to the obedience of God, it's really easy for me to stand here and say to you, you need to be obedient to God. And it's really easy for you to stand here and say to somebody else or say to me, you need to be obedient to God. But you see, you got to ask yourself that question. Am I being obedient to God? If I'm not doing the things that Jesus asks me to do, then am I really following him? Is he really my Lord? If I'm not quitting or stopping doing the things that he asks me to stop or quit, is he really my Lord? Because it's possible I could proclaim Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but my life looks nothing like it. It comes out of my mouth, but my life isn't saying that. I, jot, I wrote down these two questions. Is there anything in your life that you are doing right now today because Jesus told you to do it? Is there anything in your life right now that you're doing because Jesus told you to? I, I do this daily. I do this. I'm here in this place because Jesus, because God laid it on my heart, and I'm doing it because God told me to do it. Can you say there's anything? If there's not, there should be. Let me pose it to you a different way. Is there anything in your life that you are not doing that you've quit doing because God told you to stop doing it or Jesus told you to stop doing it? You see, it could work both ways. Usually the first, thing, the, first thing, the first thing that happens is the Lord tells you to stop doing things. I want you to stop doing this. I want you to stop thinking like this. I want you to stop talking like this. I want you to stop acting like this. I want you to stop doing, I want you to align with my word. As you begin to do that, the next thing you're gonna hear typically is now I want you to step out in faith and do this. I want you to step out in faith and do that. I want you to get out and do this. When I ask those questions, is there anything in your life that you're doing because Jesus told you to do it, that should hit home. You should either be able to list some things or not. And you might look at me and say, well, Rob, is there anything in your life? that? Yeah, there's a lot in my life from moving out of South Florida and quitting my career and coming here to starting a radio station to teaching every week. There's a lot I do in, in my life because the Lord's called me to do it. But that's me and I'm the pastor. You're supposed to do that. No, we're all supposed to do that. You see, if we all proclaim Christ as our Lord, then we have to really ask the question, are we listening to what our Lord says? Are we just doing what we wanna do? Are we just bringing our Lord along with, him, with us on whatever journey we wanna go? If, if that's the case, we've kind of made an idol out of him. He just does what we want him to do. It's like a genie in the bottle thing. Just come do what I wanna do. But David here, I love what he's doing. Bottom, and I love the way the Bible portrays him as so human. He's fallen, he's backslidden, he's away from God, away from the people of God. He strengthens himself in the Lord, he inquires of God, he receives this promise of God, and then he simply moves in obedience. Listen, stepping out in obedience is not that complicated. It's just simple thing. You just simply do what God calls you to do. Don't worry about logistics. Don't worry about abilities. Don't worry about finances. Don't worry about those things. Just do what God calls you to do. And make sure before you do it that you know that God's calling you to do it. Make sure he's not calling you to do something crazy, you know, something that doesn't line up with the word of God. If, if God, God will never call you or ask you to step out in faith or do anything that doesn't line up with his word, 
okay? God's never gonna tell you to do something, you know, well, you need to go steal this thing over here from this person and give it to that person. No, that, that's not from the Lord, I promise you, because the Bible tells us not to steal. You know, th those kinds of things are ridiculous. So this isn't a, this isn't a free for all to say, I could just do whatever I want and say God told me. No, that, not, that won't work out for you. You see, a true follower of Christ is really gonna spend time seeking God, saying, God, what do you really want me to do? David gets it, he takes this step of faith. It says David went, and look what else happened. He and the 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Bezor. The 600 men that were about to stone him, they put their rocks down because it says previously the people spoke of stoning him. They were gonna stone him because of, he, was, he wasn't leading them. What changed their mind? How'd, they, how'd their mind get changed? They watched David strengthen himself in the Lord. They watched David inquire of the Lord. They watched David believe the Lord, and now they're watching David step out in faith as he does what the Lord's calling him to do. They're watching this. Who, who doesn't want to follow somebody like that? We, he, it, he fell on his face. He, now he's seeking the Lord. He's praising. He's worshiping. He's, he's repented. He's, now he's got direction from the Lord. I want to go with him too. doesn't matter where he just came from. He just, he's, he's, he's just really fallen back, really in a low place. But now all those 600 men are with him. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and they came and, he, and came to the brook Bezor where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and his 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Now notice what just took place. David is stepping out in faith, and as he's stepping out in faith, as he's on his way, a third of his men decide or have this ability, we can't go on. We're too tired. Why? Because we know they just spent three days hiking 25 miles a day, and now here they are again on another 25-mile hike, probably in full battle gear to go after the people. So here he comes, he, he's comes 200 men. He's got to be thinking, wait a minute. There's only 600 of us. We're going after the Amalekites. They have a much larger army than we do. And now I got 200 men that are left behind. Listen, when you step out in faith, when you do the will of God, you will face adversity. Okay? It will happen. I promise you. There will be people that tell you that you can't do it. There will be people that, people that tell you you're crazy for doing it. People, my, mom, my own mom and dad thought I was nuts for moving to Cumberland and starting a church. And you can ask him after church. He'll tell you. He didn't, they, don't, they didn't get it at first. They didn't understand what was, you know, I, I had my career. Why, why, why are you doing this? You know, um, you, you will find this adversity happens. And David is facing a third of his men. A third of his men are stuck. They can't cross the base. Or perhaps it shouldn't be a very big brook. Perhaps it was flood season. Maybe it was a little hard to get across. Whatever it was, there's David. He just went from 600 to 400 men. You, I promise when you step out in faith, you can tell yourself before you do it, there will be adversity to this. There, there will be something that happens that's going to try to deter me from continuing on in this. David could have said, wait, wait, maybe I didn't really hear from God. Wait, I, may, you know, I know that he said, I, I know that God said that I would, uh, that I'd get, we'd get all our stuff back. I know God said that, but I'm just not seeing it because now we're down to 400 men. You know, listen, maybe I ought to just let the guy sleep. But why don't we all just camp here for the night and, you know, we'll just, we'll just, let's just, let's just forget this whole thing. And let me, let me see God again. Let me just, let me ask him again. God, is this really what you want me to do? Because I didn't, now I'm doubting what he said. David doesn't do that. 
He leaves the 200 men behind at the brook. And he takes the men that are willing to go and he continues on forward. And look what happens next. It says, then they found an Egyptian in the field. They brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and 200, or two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Now let me get your attention. This is a group of men that are moving. Who are they going to get? Their families. They're going to get their wives. They're going to get their children. They're going to get all of their stuff back. And they come across a dying Egyptian in the desert. Dying Egyptian. I would suspect that an army would just move right on by, wouldn't you? I would just suspect, well, he's not doing very good, so too, too bad for him, and just move right on by. That's not what these guys do. They stop what they're doing. They bring him to David. He's the leader of the group. I'm sure they had some sort of ranking system. David doesn't need to be bothered with this. He's just a dying guy in the desert. But they bring him to David after they feed him. They feed him, they water him, they give him his strength back, and then they bring him to David. I find that interesting. While doing the will of God, while, while, while doing the work of God, they're having compassion on a person along the way. They're not too busy to stop and talk to people. They're not too busy to stop and, and meet the needs of somebody. I gotta believe it would be really easy for these guys to walk coast right on by this guy. Sorry, too bad for you. Here's some bread, here's some water. See you later. Would have been easy, right? They're on their way. They're on a mission from God. We can't wait for this. But no, they realize there's compassion that needs to be had here. So they'd stop. They'd get the man, get him strengthened back. they bring him to David. Look at verse 13. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of, the, of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. Now, did you, did you just catch that? He's the enemy. He's one of the people that came that burned down David's city, Ziglag. He's one of the people that burned it down. He says, by the way, we, attract, we attacked the people of Caleb, and we also attacked the southern area of the land of Judah. You'd think David would say, well, guess what? Today's your lucky day. You had some crab, some crab, crab cakes. We're in Maryland, right? <laughs> you had some fig cakes, and uh, here's a sword, and by the way, off with your head, because you might have been the one that burned my house down. You might have been the one that took my wives. You might have been the one that took my family. But that's not what David does. Look what David does. David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? Can you take me to where your people are? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I'll take you down to this troop. Notice what he said. David, David doesn't kill him. He says, listen, can you take me to, the, to your people? Do you know where they're going back to? He goes, yeah, I know where they're going back to. He goes, but I got to tell you something. He goes, if I tell you, you got to make me a promise, David. You got to promise not to kill me, all right? David says, fine. He goes, and also, you better promise not to give me back to my master because when you do that, he's going to kill me for bringing you here. David says, that's fine. I'll do that. Here's what I want you to see from that. Although they're on a mission from God, they're on a beeline in the will of God, they have direction, they're not too busy to stop and have compassion on a dying man. 
As a result, look what the information they got. If they'd have kept right on moving by, right on pushing by, they wouldn't have had the blessing of this guy saying, yeah, I know where they're at. I can take you to them. There's a lesson for us there. People are important. Don't ever be too busy to stop and talk to people. Don't ever be too busy to stop and minister to people. Sometimes, even when you step out in ministry and you're doing things for the Lord, you can be so focused on what you're doing, you can lose the, lose the focus that the, the people are the purpose. The reason that we do things in ministry is for the people of God. That's what it's all about. It's all about the people. I tell Kevin when he's here during the day with the radio station, if somebody comes in and wants to talk, I don't care how busy you are, let's talk. If someone wants to stop by and talk to me, if at all possible, I will always be available to talk. It's always about the people. It's never about the organization. It's never about the mission. It's about the people. It's about the people of God in ministry. It's about building up the body of Christ. It's about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. It's about the people. And as David realizes that, he and his men stop to meet with the man that's dying, what a blessing they receive out of it. They didn't do that so they could get something from him. I believe they just met his need. They had compassion on him. And then they find out, yeah, I'll take you, I'll take you to him. And he does. Look at verse 16. When they had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So David and his men, they get down to where he takes them. And what do they see? I can just imagine them up on a hilltop looking down and there's the people down there. And what are they doing? They're having a party. They're celebrating. Look at all the stuff we have. Look at all the people that we've captured. We've got slaves. We've got wives. Look at all the stuff that we've had. We're having a party. Verse 17, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. That word there for twilight can also be tra translated dawn. David attacked them from dawn until the evening of the next day. I believe, I believe, and this is my opinion, we're going to just assume that I'm right, and I know, I know that word can be translated as dawn. Um, I believe that David got down there, dawn meaning the morning time, instead of from, if you read it the way it's written there in the New King James, it's from twilight to twilight would mean from evening to evening. If it's dawn to evening, it would be David attacked him in the morning, which means he waited overnight. And I believe he did wait overnight. Because here's why. I think David came upon those people. I think he looked down over them. I realized what they were doing. What were they doing? They were partying. They were drinking. What happens the next day after you've partied hard and drank a lot? What do you think? You're hungover, right? You're, you're worn out. You've been up all night. I think he got with his men and said, guys, let's get a good night's sleep. Let's just get a good night's sleep here and we'll go down at dawn, first thing in the morning, because they're all going to have really bad headaches. They're all going to be tired. They're all going to be awake all night. Just about the time they're laying down their heads on their rock pillows or whatever they had back then, we're going to go attack. And that's exactly what happens. And he attacks from dawn until dusk or dawn until evening. And verse 18, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Isn't it wonderful to see that God's word is true? What did God tell David? That you're going to get it all back. 
you're going to get it all back. David had to take a step of obedience. He faced adversity. He showed compassion along the way. And now we get to see the promise of God is being fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? Why can we read it in David's life, but we don't trust it in our lives? Why can we look at that and go, yeah, that's great. That happened for David. Why do you think for a moment that God's promises wouldn't be fulfilled in our lives? They will. I promise you. God's promised you. Far greater than I promised you. God's promised you. It will happen. But like David, we get tired of waiting on God sometimes. We, don't, we look at our circumstances around us and see, I don't know if it's possible. I just can't see how it could possibly happen. David had waited about, we'll just say, 12 and a half years. You can understand why he got tired of waiting, can't you? He waited longer than I probably would have waited. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. But he's also very human. And we see his downfall. We see him do that. But he comes back to the Lord. He repents and he strengthens himself. He comes back. He inquires. And he takes that step of obedience. The adversity doesn't set him back. He's dealing and worried about the people along the way. God blesses him. And God's word comes true. There is nothing better than watching a promise of God come true in your life. If you have never seen that, you are missing out. Then you're not asking God what to do. Because I can tell you firsthand, I have watched many promises of God in my life come true. The fact that you guys are sitting here listening to me tonight was a promise that God made to me. God told me that if you go to Cumberland and you start teaching the Bible, I'll bring the people. Now for the first couple of years, I really doubted that promise. But I can see it happening. You say, Rob, well, you're not a big church. It doesn't matter. God never said I'd be a big, it'd be a big church. He just said, teach the people that are there. I've watched God with the radio station. Our little church shouldn't own a radio station, but we do. Because God told us that we would have a radio station someday. He promised me long before I ever came to Cumberland. He told me I would do something in radio. That's all I knew. I would do something in radio. I have no idea what it, would meant, what it meant or what it would look like. I certainly never thought. I'll tell you what I thought it meant. I thought it meant someday that I'd have to be on the radio, which terrified me. Scared me to death. I thought I'd actually have to be on the radio, like talking into a microphone or live on the air while people are listening to me. Scared me to death. I had no, that, that's, that's as far as I could see. That would be like a, man, if God, you did that, that'd be just amazing. I never thought we'd actually own a radio station. and would be operating a radio station. Not only would I be on the radio station, I'd be putting other people on the radio station. It's amazing to watch him work. Not, I never thought he, we could afford something like that. I never thought he provided all the finances. He provided the labor. He provided the people, the, 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 the specialized people to do it from engineers all along. He provided all of it. And there's nothing greater than watching God's promises come true. Those are just a few in my life, and there's many more. Where are they in your life? Do you have the promise of God in your life? Can you go back and say, yes, God said he was going to do this, and he's done it? Are you able to say, yes, I am doing this today because the Lord has called me to do it, and I'm doing it? Or I've stopped doing this because the Lord called me to, told me to stop doing it? That's, that's living for God. That, that's, what we're, that's what David's doing here. He wasn't, and now he's changed. He's back where he was. And God not only gives him everything back, isn't that amazing? If I was God, I would have held back about 50%, just so you don't do it again. You know, you, you do that again, David, and I'm going to, you know, it's not happening. But God gives him everything back. But not only does he give him everything back. Look at verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, nothing of their 
of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all, verse 20. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Do you know what spoil means? This is the stuff that didn't belong to him. This is the stuff he's taking from the Amalekites. So God not only gave him back everything that belonged to him, he gave him more. He gave him more. He gave him an excess. He gave him an abundance. There's extra. Is that the way that you think that a backslider should be treated? I'm glad God is God and not me. God says, David, now that you're back, now that you're following, I'm going to give you everything back and I'm going to give you more. I'm going to restore to you more than that was taken from you. I believe God allowed all this to happen so that David would come back to him, so that he could restore him. And he does. He gives him an abundance. This is David's spoil. This is the stuff that's on top. It's verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, when David came near the people, he greeted them. So now they're on their way back to Ziglag. They're on their way back. They come back to, the, back to the brook there, and they left the 200 men behind. Now, notice something there that's interesting. It says, came to the 200 men who had been so weary they could not follow David, whom they also had made. They made them stay there. That's a leader that cares about his men. That's a leader who says, you guys need to stay here. You need to rest. Not only was there adversity, David was fine with it. Not only was his, his numbers being cut down by a third, his, his soldiers being cut down by a third. He says, you guys stay here. Can you imagine what those 200 men, they're sitting there with their feet in the brook waiting for to come back? They're sitting there waiting and they, and they look off in the distance. All of a sudden, there's a group of people coming this way. And there's more coming this way than went that way. That's a good sign. And all of a sudden, their wives are coming back. Their families are coming back. Everybody's coming back to them. It's a joyous occasion. They're celebrating. They're, they got everybody back. David, notice what it says. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. He greeted them. Would you have a tendency to leave the weak behind and not pay any attention to them? Would you have a tendency to go, oh, they're just weak. They're just, what's wrong with them? They're not soldiers. They're not men. Just two, you 200, you bunch of little girls. You ought to go off to preschool or something. You just, what's wrong with you? That wasn't David's heart. As David's following God, it says he greets them. He comes, hey, are you guys okay? Is everything okay? He greets them. Their wives are back. Their family's back. But then look at verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David, not all of them were good men. There was some wicked and worthless ones there. And so they said this, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. So there's some of the men that went with David. The Bible tells us they're wicked men. And their attitude was this. Listen, because you guys didn't go with us, because you little girls stayed behind the brook and soaked your feet and threw, skipped rocks across the brook, we're not giving you any of the spoil. That's the extra stuff. We're just going to give you your wives and your children. You go, and you just go on about your way. You're not really part of us anymore. You just go ahead. Take your wives and go on back and go, just, just go ahead and move on out. Now just imagine what that looks like. Here comes a guy, he's got your stuff, all the stuff out of your house. Maybe he's got your, uh, your iPad and your laptop or you know, whatever, whatever kind of stuff they had back then. 
And he says to you, no, no, that, and you say, well, can I, have my, can I have my stuff back? And he said, no, no, you can have your wife and your kids back, but, this, but because you're so weak, because you weren't able to keep up, you lost that stuff. That's not David's heart. Look what David says in verse 23. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. David recognizes it's not in his strength. It's not in his own ability. Look what the Lord has given us, who was preserve, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. David's given praise to the Lord. The Lord did this. The Lord's given me this. The Lord's the one that preserved me. He's the one that delivered the troop in our hand. He's the one that brought the little Egyptian, the, the servant of the Malachite by to tell us where they live. The Lord's hand is at work here. Oh, we miss that sometimes in our lives. Do you realize how much the Lord is at work in your life? How much his hand is really moving you in the right directions? How much, he's really, how much responsibility God has for the people that come across your path every day? We think a lot of times it's just a coincidence. Maybe... Maybe, and I'm guilty of this, maybe I would have just kept on going with the guy in the desert. I wonder what I miss by not stopping and talking to somebody. I wonder what I miss by not interacting and having that compassion on somebody. Look what the Lord has given us, who's preserved us, delivered us into our, he delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. Look at verse 24. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So David said, no, 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 no. We're not having none of that. They're going to get all their stuff back. They're not just going to get their wife and their kids. They're going to get all their stuff back. Do you see the heart of David? When he was living in Ziglag, he was attacking people and killing everybody and stealing all their stuff. Now he's looking at the people that are among him and said, we're not going to treat anybody differently. We're not going to show partiality because they stayed behind. They stayed behind to guard our stuff. Perhaps they left a lot of their equipment there, and they were able to travel lighter and faster. So they left a couple hundred men behind at the brook. They were weak anyways. They were slowing us down. We don't know the circumstances. Perhaps that's possible. So they said, we're going to leave them behind. And David says, no, no. We're, we're one group. We're one body. If, if we get it, they get it. We're, we're separating things. We're, 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 going to, we're going to divide things equally. He made it a statute from that day forward. Now look at verse 26. Now when David came to Ziglag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To, the, to those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jadar, those who were in Eror, those who were in uh, Simoth, those who were in uh, Estimo those who were in Rachel, those who were in those cities, and on and on. He sends out all of this stuff, all of these, all of these blessings, all of these gifts to these people. Why? Why did he have to do that? Can I tell you that he's mending relationships? He's fixing relationships. This is where David, these are the places that David used to reside before he went to camp, before he went to move in with the Philistines. So what he's doing is he's going back and he's trying to mend or fix the relationships that were damaged by his leaving to go fight with the enemy. When he left, we read here, the Amalekites came in and attacked Judah. We read previously. When David left, his men were the security for this area. He was the covering for this area. He was sort of the army that would cover these guys. When he left, what do you think these guys thought? David bailed out on us. What wanted to do with us? Now David's going back and he's sending part of the the spoil that the Lord has given him. He's sending it off to his friends and he's saying, hey, I want to fix these relationships. 
I want to mend these relationships. When you follow God, you may have some of that to do too. There may be times in your life where it's time to mend some relationships. David's saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live like this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, I'm going to take and make right my wrongs, if you will. I'm going to send some gifts. You know, I love this picture. We see David, he strengthens himself in the Lord. He inquires of the Lord. He receives the promises of God. He walks out, steps out in obedience. He encounters the adversity, but continues on. He has compassion for the people along the way. He gets to watch the promises of God fulfilled. He gets abundantly blessed, more than he had, more than it was taken from him. And now we see him mending these relationships. What a picture that our life should look like when we follow God. Shouldn't we be doing all of those things? Shouldn't we be stepping out in faith? Shouldn't we be, should we be surprised when we encounter adversity or we just move on knowing that it was part of God's plan, knowing that he's going to take care of it? Not treating people differently, but not showing partiality to people, having compassion on the one dying Egyptian. Turns out God blesses him with some information that he could have just passed him by. Do you see how it all fits and applies to our life? And now he's mending relationships. How cool is that? That God can take this story of David written how many thousands of years ago and say that that works in our life today too. It's the same thing. God hasn't changed. The Bible's the same today. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. It's still there available for us. I think, this is my personal opinion, I think as Christians, I think we do pretty good at strengthening ourselves in the Lord. And I think we do pretty good at inquiring of the Lord. I think we do pretty good at receiving and believing on the things God gives us. I think where we fall, I think where we fail is we fail to move out in obedience. I think that's where, that, that's where we get stuck. And notice we can't see all the other things don't happen until we start to take that step of obedience. We have to take the step of obedience. God, what do you want me to do? He tells you which one. Oh, I can't do that. But God fixed everything else in my life. Why? You're not listening to me. No, what do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to do this. No, it's too hard. No, it won't work. No, I didn't really hear from God. No, I don't really want to stop doing that. I want you to stop doing whatever it is he tells you to stop doing. No, I can't possibly do that. I promise you, if you will let him be the leader and the Lord of your life, it will be much better, much greater. He will do the same thing for you that he did for David. You will get back what you lost in abundance. You will find relationships being mended. You will have relationships with people that you never thought possible. It'll be an incredible journey with the Lord. But we have to be willing to step out in obedience. Don't let the adversity sidetrack you. Maybe you've stepped in obedience. Maybe there's adversity. That, that's where I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the adversity part. Don't let that happen. Do just what David did. Just keep focusing, promising. Remember the promises of God and keep moving towards what he called you to do. Whatever it is. Whatever it is that he called you to do, keep moving in that direction and know that the blessings are coming. The blessings are coming. And I mean spiritual blessings. The blessings are coming. Physical blessings may or may not come. We don't, we don't subscribe to the health wealth doctrine. But the spiritual blessings will definitely come as you do that. The question is, will we do it? We can learn it. We can hear it. But will we live it? It's my prayer that we would.